episode 345, How to Fear Less. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one men's development podcast for inspirational stories and strategies to thrive as a man. As a coach, keynote speaker, and best-selling author, it has been my mission going on four years on the podcast to bring you the best, the very best, the struggles, the action, and to share the real journey with you. Together we are stronger. Please subscribe to support the show through ayalpha.com forward slash book. Please get over to Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive. The book is out. Get to the podcast. Hey, so welcome back. So firstly, I wanted to, you know, just touch base and uh, let you know if any of you have been wondering where I've been. I've been here. Um, I've actually been running, if some of you would have seen or watched or been involved in Fearless Week inside Awaken Your Up with ALW, my Facebook community. Uh, we did lots of, again, based on the fact that I am a largely a podcast audio man, did lots of video interviews and a whole online summit completely free to consume and lots of extra value inside that Facebook community. So if you have been listening to the podcast, for all these years or just come across it new today please do jump in there it's a group i've had since the start so almost five years coming now so i'm doing adding lots and lots of value in there constantly and um, so it's really really good to get some great people in there and have the chance to um share their stories on fear and really um get some unique perspectives and i know i learn a lot so this week i was never never planned to do a podcast of this uh, but it's just so much value that was shared. I can't help myself. Uh, I was largely as well doing this as part of research for books in the future. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm doing this a compilation and I'm even in editing this. I think I may do two compilations because I've just, you know, we had up about 20 speakers over you know five to six days. Um, and so I'm going to give you sort of four or five here. And I knew I was going to probably do two compilations of just to give you some real good value. And the variation is the key here. Um, once I started editing the first episode and putting a little bit in here, I was going to put sort of like five, 10 minutes. Um, it's Alan Gunnar Lindblom is the only person I had um, over the week that was actually live in the studio with me. We did a Facebook live of this interview as well. Um, and I will just pass it over to this one. And I went to edit that. We were the, the original was about 45 minutes. Um, I'll share about 20 minutes in here, but I just, I couldn't cut any more out than that. I think it's very valuable um, as a unique interview um, in person in the office. And I think he offers um, a very unique perspective and situations that I uh, can't, um, I can barely imagine being in myself and I don't confident that I won't find myself in many of these situations. And um, so some of you relate to this and it's very interesting to talk to someone who's been through such um, adverse um, situations in the life that he has so far. Anyway, so I'll pass you over to Alan Gunner Lindblom to start. That's the longest one in here today. That starts you off and you really kind of make you sit up straight, I believe. And then Excellent. we've got a great America, Denmark, Canadian compilation, a, a select mix for this, you know, this first one. And I'm going to do another one for the next episode on the podcast and give you another sort of selection of four or five um, pieces on different viewpoints that I think will go really useful and really well together, but also um, some practical insights and things that maybe you can apply into your life. And then we'll be, once this is done, we're straight back into the normal, back to the normal service resumes for 2019. Um, and as usual, the big, the big focuses for me in 2019 are book publishing and TEDx speaking. So if 2019 is your book year, 
please do reach out and, and we can talk about how I can potentially help you with that. And the same with the TEDx mindset and speaking around you know, publishing book or becoming a writer, becoming a bestseller, becoming a keynote speaker, becoming a you know, TEDx speaker, anything around these aspects. And obviously the podcast is a foundation for me. Um, please do reach out to me and I can point you in the right direction or potentially we can jump on and I can help get you some clarity, you know, certain areas of your life and aspects and how you can really attack 2019. So I'll pass over to my first guest and I'm sharing about five guests here. Please do feedback, jump inside the Facebook community and let us me know and also the guests that are featured here, what you thought of this. And uh, as I say, jump in that group and there's um, lots of value to add in there. And if you want to take it a step further, the arena, which is launching, which is my online coaching and support community with direct group coaching access to me and lots of resources beyond the pod podcast and to get full access to the entire fearless summit and resources and the resources from the best-selling book awaken your alpha and everything i i do um please do reach out and um, make sure you're connected and i will keep you in the loop all right enjoy Okay, welcome to the next episode of Fearless Week. With me here is Alan Gunner Lindblom, and uh, here he is. So, we, there's so much we can talk about here. And when I decided I was going to do this Fearless Week, well, obviously I've interviewed a lot of people, and some people are very impressed. They've got all the great stories, great expertise, and then they might not fit to the theme of Fearless Week. And you pop straight to the top of the list of worlds that I don't have experience in, and I'm just fascinated to see how fear plays a role. But Ex-mafia enforcer, unfortunately, was in prison for 13 years, paid his dues, and then discovered writing, which we talk about, multi-best-selling author, novels as well, which is good. We've been talking before, there's a lot of, especially in my world, non-fiction books, the fiction one, um, based on some experiences. So welcome. I'm just going to go jump straight in with, what is the scariest thing from your life that you didn't choose, directly choose to happen to you know someone say, oh, I'm gonna do a bungee jump. They chose that. Right, right. One of the scariest situations um, you experienced. I mean, I've been asked that a lot. I've given pretty much the same answer in most interviews. But, um, you know, I, I've been stabbed and shot and stuff like that, and that's scary. But really one time was really close, or two times. Once I had a gun pulled on me and a guy racked around into it. I was in the middle of doing uh, a deal some kind and this guy here was distracting me and um all of a sudden i heard don't move mother effort and i looked up it was summertime had the window down but i was smart enough i had left my car running and left the, uh, enough room uh between where i had parked and the car in front of me so i heard don't move mother effort and i and i and i like looked over and there's a pistol against my head and i, I see it there and then like i reacted instantly but i thought i was dead and all of a sudden, the guy goes to rack around in the chamber. Like, Ch -ch -ch. I don't know why he didn't have one on in the chamber. That's just stupid. Maybe he was trying to show me he meant business. Whatever the case is, he's like, Ch -ch, in the gun jam. And so I instantly reacted. But then I was worried about this guy, too, if he had a gun. So I was like, as soon as he jammed, he went, Ch -ch, and started fumbling it. I grabbed the gun and pulled my gun out because that was sitting right there. And I was ready to shoot him, but he jumped out of the car. So I'm fumbling with this guy. I stick the gun out the window, pull the trigger. Pow! And he, he drops the gun. And takes off running. I didn't hit him. So the gun falls and lands in my back seat of my car and I peel off. That was very scary because it was, you know, a millisecond from death. Um, and then the other time was when I got, I got jumped by a bunch of guys. Long story. Some guy uh, 
thought, got tough with me, and uh, I was selling drugs, and I was going to where I uh, uh, scored drugs. It was a bad neighborhood in the ghetto, and this guy got tough. He didn't know who I was, and he came over, hit me with a bottle, and uh, I ended up knocking him out and just, just you know, he circled around me like, what's up, tough guy, whatever. I'm like, hey, what's up? What are you do with that bottle? You know, he's going to make me mad with that. He thinks he's going to smash me in the head with it, and I, I duck it, hits my shoulder blade or collarbone, and then it's come back and boom, knocked him out. And then I got on top of him and molly whopped him. Well, later that night, he knew where I was going to be because it was always down the block where his friend was. And they came out of nowhere when I pulled up to my boy's house and uh, hit me in the head with a bat, broke a bat over my head. I have a big scar right here and uh, broke the bat over my head and jumped me. I ended up grabbing him by the throat and tackled him, God, blood gushing. And I was trying to kill him, but his boys were like, you know, kicking me, hit me with a bottle, and, and one of them hit me with a two-by-four in the back, and that back of my leg, I jumped off. And it was very close. I, one of them stabbed me in the stomach, and I took off running. And um, I ran for a couple of blocks. They chained, charged me, I mean, chased after me and shot at me. And I remember hiding in some alley, in some back, uh, in behind some house, bleeding out. And I was, uh, it was a very scary moment, and I thought I was going to die. And I looked down, and blood was pouring out of me, and, and I was covered in blood, and... Um, I'm like, man, then I said, oh, I ain't going out like that. So I got up and started moving. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was really, you know, in shock. Been hit with a bat a few times, stabbed, um, shot in one leg. So some lady, it was kind of a miracle. I, I was in a really bad neighborhood, and uh, I'm walking down the street, and I'm, I had no shoes. I ran right out of my shoes. I don't even remember how that happened. And then I ended up covered in blood, stumbling down the road, um, and uh, – I wanted some water. I was dying of thirst. So I walked over to uh, the side of somebody's house to get a drink off their faucet. And I hear some lady across the street go, hey, what are you doing by my house? She goes running over. I'm like, hey, I just want some water, water man. I'm sorry. And um, she looked at me. She says, what, what happened to you? And I said, uh, I got jumped because she thought I had been in a car accident. I'm like, no, I got jumped. So she said, come here. Set me on her porch in a chair. Came out with a glass of water and a clean white towel and said, put that over your head because my head was leaking blood everywhere. She didn't realize I'd been stabbed. I did because I looked at the hole and I stuck my finger in it. It was all the way in. Well, that's what I was going to say. Did you, you know, sometimes we just think they got punched or the adrenaline's going. Did yeah, you, yeah. Did you notice when no, you got stabbed or it's more of oh. No, I did not know at all. I did, had no idea. So I was having a hard time breathing. But I was, I was um, coughing up blood. But I thought I was just some blood running in my yeah. I mean, I was gush blood. So you know, I didn't know. And then I stuck my finger in the hole. That's when it got serious. When I stuck my finger in there and I could feel how deep it was all the way in my lungs. I was like, I got lightheaded, and I thought I was going to be right there. Yeah. And that's when I said, no, get up and move. Yeah. Get up and move. I said, I'm going to live. So I got up and move. Did this lady call an ambulance? Okay, so we talked about some you know, scenarios to a lot of people would just be like, hell on earth. And like the worst case scenario, probably the things they fear. What you said like, before, like you literally grew up scared. And was this kind of like, you know, everyone has that fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And it seriously, obviously, seems like you hugely lent towards the the fight mentality. I mean, when the first time I met you as well, if you see like your mugshot from prison stuff, like yeah, bit, how, bit strong guy, yeah, how I imagine like either in a cartoon or in a movie, how a mob enforcer should look yeah. right. is yourself. Right. And in the movies, they never portray him as smart, do right. they? No, probably. Or, or this guy's a novelist. I'm the last guy. Don't judge a book by its cover. That's a nice pun, but you know what I'm saying? I don't look like you're a novelist or a writer or well, yeah. a well-spoken you know, person, but so I, I, because of all that, when I was a kid, I, I had that chip on my shoulder 
was quick to fight. I, if anyone called me like stupid or implied that I was stupid, I was ready to fight or, or knock them out. And then, um, and like I said, and also it gave me a drive to be smart. You know what I'm saying? Because people might have thought, assumed I was dumb because these weird classes or yeah. whatever. As I got older, um, I was scared. I was never scared. I was always fighting brawl. I had that same chip on my shoulder. I always wanted to prove to everybody yeah. that how tough I was. And um, well, why do people like me too? That's yeah. a weird thing. Well, again, to get the full story as well, which we've done a podcast interview, full, full half hour that we'll put the link in that as well. You can listen to for like as long as you want and stuff. We're going to really dig into the, the fear aspects here. If you feel like, oh, we're missing a piece of the puzzle. We've already got a piece of you, for you to listen to. So I want to talk about as well, um, I know you had your family had ties to sort of you were brought up into the sort of the mafia and that side of things. How was I suppose was there ever a conscious decision um, to go into that lifestyle, or did you feel like you wanted to run away from it, or did you, tell us about that and and also the fear of you know like you told me like a lot of times if people's coming at you or you think they might be you go on the offense first. I was always on the offense, but the thing, that's a great question. And I was, because I was constantly fighting and getting in trouble at school, you know, my uncle and my grandfather, they were very, they paid attention to that. So when I got to be around 16 years old, my grandpa was like, you know, hey, listen, uh, you, you know, you work security at this, you know, get poker game or, or this nightclub or this, mm. you know, after hours club or, or go do this or go do that. And you need the money. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, really, it got to the point where there was this old man. He was an old boss. I don't say his name, but yeah. he's, um, <laughs> he's dead now. But very dangerous and well-known mafioso, put it like that, in Detroit. And he called me up because he liked me. He liked me out of mm, He's yeah. like, this guy, he's a tough guy. He'll, 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 he'll do what he's you know, told. He'll do what he has to do. Not scared of anything, and uh, there was times when I actually talk about fear. Yeah, where is- where I actually was scared though. He's like this guy Tony, who is he had these big poker games, ten thousand dollars to buy yeah. in poker, and he'd ask me to work security at it. And you know, I just make a couple hundred bucks a night, me and my cousin John. But I would note the players, and I'd watch them, and I'd note their names. And, and these big players would come in, and I'd see how much they were getting cut out of these pots, and how the whole game worked. I watched the operation, so I. I'd pull them aside and say, hey, listen, put together a game. I'll come in. You know, I'll only cut every third pot instead of every pot. Yeah. That means the pots are much bigger. Or yeah. whatever. And they're like, yeah, yeah, here's my number. And then I had these games and I cut eight, ten thousand bucks out of a pot, you know, and that was enough money to get me through like, you know, a month or more. You know, yeah. I didn't have to work or nothing. You know, I sold weed and steroids and, and some other, you know, side racket stuff like that. But if I did a poker game, you know, cut eight up. Well, what happened a few times is it got back to uh, Tony. Mm. That I was scabbing his poker player. And then, like, the first time, I, I he warned me, don't do it again. Second time. Oh, so you did do it again. Oh, yeah, I did it again right away. So that, like, a month later. So the second time, he calls my grandpa. I said, oh, this is disrespected me. It cost me money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, these guys want games. They want to play. They want to play. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't I run a game? Because of my and he was a dangerous dude. So I said, okay, did again. The third time, he literally freaking was. I'll say, at least he's talking to you at this point. No, the third time, he freaking told my grandpa that he got to pay, I had to pay him 5000 bucks for for, or, uh, for just a penalty and whatever I cut out of that pocket. So now I'm down five grand on top of what I cut. And then he also just freaking kid. I don't know if he wasn't a toko. That's what he said. He wasn't, he's one of yours. I don't know what I got. But he liked my grandpa. And so that third time was an off on was yeah. pushing too far. But I was scared. I was scared. That's one of the few guys I was ever scared of because that guy could make you vanish 
just like that. Mm. If he wanted you gone, you know, I, I got overextended in this lifestyle. I had a nice new house, a couple of cars, you know, a jet boat, some toys, and all this stuff. And I'm living a like a double life. I even had a job, a good job, making six figures. Believe it or not, <laughs> I did it was a sales know. job. Yeah, so I did not know. It was a sales rep job, so I moved around. I, I imagine you'd be very persuasive. Field sales. <laughs> I was. I was one of their best salesmen. No joke. Yeah. One of their best. Yeah. But again, then I started drugs. You know, I got an injury. That injury led to pain pills, and those pain pills led to eventually heroin. And then I was gambling and heroin. And I had all this um, facade to maintain to my girl and the world. You know, I had lived this nice life, and I just, in order to uh, maintain it, I became desperate and just started doing crazy things that nobody would have, you know, like my uncle, I'm going to rob a bank. He's like, you're out of your mind. No. But whatever. He's like, but if you do, you got to pay me a cut. <laughs> and so, so I mean, so I started doing that, robbing banks, robbing that, and, and it was just the all-out crime spree. I knew it was coming. The end and was coming. I yeah. knew the end was near, and um, I actually prayed for it. I said, God, end this life, man. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I knew it meant probably prison. I did. Did you fear death or prison more? No, that prison. I definitely feel. I never feared death. I still don't. But, but prison is something to be scared of. Horrible. And so, and when I was arrested, you know, kind of in a way, there you was. You got a kicking, didn't you? That's the worst kicking you got was from the police. No, I got a high speed chase. But I mean, well, oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They, got me, they got me good. They come from Detroit. I crashed the car that I had basically stole and um, at gunpoint. And then um, and then they just surrounded me and I threw the gun. They came in and like just handcuffed me and then beat my ass for like 10 minutes. And I got to get, go straight to the emergency room and stitched up. Did a full body cat scan, a cover of bruise, head and toe. And they all lied and said that I fell off a fence three times mm -hmm. and, and slipped on the ice and cracked my head. It was, you know, that's what they do. They all lie. They, you know, let's say all cops lie, but these guys did. Because I thought I'd probably never get out. Yeah, because that's the, the, the sentence you got was 13 to 50 years. Mm -hmm. And you got out in 30. Yeah. So that's obviously a good sign of you know, how you spent your time in there. Yeah. Um, obviously writing books and discovering that. And we, we talked about that in the, the podcast interview, which obviously we'll put the links. But again, I want to jump straight to your inside. Um, and you, again, you hear about or you see these things, either documentaries or movies, where you go inside and things just get worse and worse and worse. Like you said, people never get out because yeah. they, they just it almost makes yeah. some people even worse. It didn't happen for you like that. But talk to us about the fear aspect of being, you know, in you know not like an in easy prison in a you know a very oh, tough no, prison no. I was in so state prisons are known to be the, some of the hardest prisons in the world that prison is one of those things where I can be honestly say that I was scared every every day every moment of every day in prison for 13 years I was terrified I was that scared because the people in there are crazy you yeah. know there's a lot of psychopaths sociopaths criminal masterminds just absolutely criminally insane you told me as well like little old, Miscommunication mistakes. Like oh, yeah, say someone yeah. coming in, like yeah. thinking, is that their friend looking yes, at them? Yeah. Wrong you, yeah, right yeah, and it's just little so things like when, that. When you walk into a new prison, um, you go to the chow hall or whatever, it's your first day in prison, you, you've been, you know, at another prison. I went to eight over two years. And uh, you get the chow hall, and you're looking for guys you know, and you're staring at a guy, like, man, did I know that guy from five years ago at the other joint? You're thinking in your mind, yeah, that guy, there's a, let's say he's not even that guy, there's another guy mm -hmm. who's behind him, sees you looking at him, he thinks that. Man, is that the guy that I, I stabbed a couple years ago at, you know, King Ross or whatever? Now he's thinking, oh, man, I got to get him up. You got to get him before he gets me. God, I'm going to sit around. So now he starts plotting, gets his knife. Before he 
you never know anything. You're just going by your day, your life, doing your bit. Next thing you know, you're walking into the chow line. This guy walks up and slices your throat with a knife or stabs you a couple times. That's how you get a guy yard, stab him a couple times. Probably live, but you once you go to the infirmary and get fixed up, they move you to another prison. They set, they ride you out. So he's like, I can't be out of yard with the guy that I stabbed. So you're living in more fear than they probably are already. Right, right, right. So he's like, I got to get him off the yard before he gets me. So and that's and that happens all the time, mistaken identity and just and really petty stuff yeah. too. That just guys guys get you know stabbed over. Really so so like yeah, fear of the unknown of yeah. like and just, the, the weakness of the gangs. The gangs are really weak most of the time. They're just cowardly and see they strength in numbers. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Now everybody knows the baddest guys on the yard are the guys who don't join a gang and walk by themselves and just get nobody. I was that guy. I mean, I guess you have to be a little crazy. And a little badass or a little bold. But I was going to say, when you first got in there, were you known from your ties? Did that help, or did you have to almost like start afresh in new no, environment? I never shared that with anybody. But it was known. Like people knew me from the street. It only takes one guy. Yeah. One guy from the street, you know, who's been in a prison for a few years, even who remembers me or knows me or recognizes me or even heard of me, will tell. And before you know it, you get a thousand guys in the yard, they'll know within two days. So, yeah, before I even got off. You know, you get off the bus, you go to the control center, you grab your bedroll, and send you to a unit. You know what I'm saying? Half the time before I, before I even get to my unit, we're across the yard, you know. Not that I'm somebody big or special. They're just saying, no, that's the guy you don't want to mess yeah, with. Yeah, when new people come in, they're like, what's, you know, you know what's is this person a victim exactly. or like to be yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, and so is this a, this a victim or a, or a predator? But I mean, for me, it was like, they would, my guys that I knew would always introduce me to the leaders of the gang. And then they would, you know, shake my hand. It was kind of cool that I was this guy, guy kind of tied to the, the mom. And then they'd tell their guys, this guy's off limits. Don't bother. No, no, no problem. And then they always say, if you ever have problems, come. So I walked through the yard with impunity. Nobody bothered me. I just worked out and went back to the, my cell and I ate. And then, I, then I'd uh, work on my books. I worked yeah. on my books, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. I never had a problem. But that's not to say I wasn't scared. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was scared. Anybody tell you they, they weren't scared in prison, they're fool. Because... You know, danger alerts everywhere. I mean, you can be killed at any moment. Yeah, like mistaken, like, like you said, yeah, mistaken yeah, identity, yeah. just I mean, minding your own business. Or an enemy that you knew from the streets, and you know how many people that you don't remember from yeah. years ago that show up. Or what's psychopaths? They're just psychos. Crazy people are crazy. There's a lot of racists in there. They just, they just, you know, this is what the gang initiation. They might say to a young kid, "You got to stab that big white guy, get him off the yard, because you want him to win that there again." Yeah. So that's what he's got to do. And so, I mean, there's a lot of dumb, lackey kids. They come down four or five years, you know, small bit, and then they, they're just stooges. You know what I mean? They're stupid. And they said, send him out to do something like that. He gets caught, and he gets a ten, 10 more years for that. Yeah. yeah. Guy dies, he gets life. It happens all the time. One of my first bunkies was like that. Came down for a murder rap, beat it. But while he was fighting it in prison on appeal, he killed another guy in the cell, and that's why he's doing life. So, oh, man. So let's talk. You're putting all this stuff behind you. It's a new kind of fear. I mean, but we're all dealing with fear to a certain level and yeah. different things. What was, um, what did you fear when you came out? Because you've been for a lot. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I came out, my only fear was um, fear of failure. Mm. You come out of prison. You know, I had to worry about the old life. I never ratted on anybody. I didn't do anybody grimy. You know, I might owe a couple people a few hundred bucks. You know, that's the worst thing I did to anybody. Yeah. But other than that, I had no fear there. Uh, there was a little fear about me publishing my novels in these Lindsay Chronicles that I write. By yeah. the way, fear is a tool. It's motivation. Um, 
So anyone who says they don't fear someone, they're either lying or an idiot, all right? But fear is good because if you fear failure, you'll work harder. Um, you know, if you fear that you're getting out of shape, you'll work harder, you know what I'm saying? If you fear you don't look good anymore, go to the gym and work out, whatever the case is. So you can overcome your fears. I mean, I've proven that that in life, you know, if you really, I'm a man of faith, so I lean on my God. And God is giving me the strength to walk through the valley in the shadow of death and never get a bummed. I didn't get a single fight in prison, not one. Nobody put a finger on me. That is a miracle. But, but, and especially who I was treating. But the thing is, uh, that fear is motivating and use it to your advantage. Don't be afraid to admit that you're scared of things. You're scared of failure. You're scared of, to lose, um, like, the relationship that you have with your wife or girlfriend. Okay. You should always be feared of these, scared of these things, but use them as motivation to be better. And that's mm. your tool. You know what I'm saying? Your tool is fear. fear. You're scared of something, work hard until you're not scared of it anymore. I'm scared of failure, everything I do. So I work hard to not fail. Gunner, thank you so much. Fearless week. Straight away, I thought I could have Gunner in my basement. I thought, wait a minute. The irony it's is Gunner. In the same time. Yeah, it's Gunner. Do I want him in my house? <laughs> really? I'm that bad? Come on. Everyone heard the story, so I know. I'm the nicest guy you'll ever see. Yeah, I'm down on the right side of Gunner. That's what I'm saying. <laughs>
so I started going down and near the top, there's a section like a rocky cliff that you have to rappel down. And I just looked at it and was terrified. Like that was probably the only point in the trip where I was like, oh my gosh, like fear totally kicked in. Mm -hmm. And so I started going and I instantly slipped. So I was swinging from the highest mountain on the planet and that just confirmed my fear. And I started bawling my eyes out. My oxygen mask was slipping from my face because my tears were soaking it. And I told my sheriff, I was like, I just need a minute to like catch my breath and like regroup. And he's like, there's no time to stop. Everyone's going up and down on the same rope. Like we just need to go. And so I'm like crying and trying to get down at <laughs> the same time. And yeah, so that was probably one of the wow. scariest situations I've ever seen. What sort of altitude is that? Because you mentioned the, the, the mask and you're very close to the summit. Yeah, we're, I'm still at like 29,000 feet at this point. Like, and I have to get down all the way to camp three. So it's interesting. Do you think there's was it any correlation between obviously fear, like you said, really kicked in? And then ultimately, by the sounds of it, one of the worst things that happened in the, the trip happened directly after that. Do you think there's any correlation? Or was it just a coincidence? I'm not sure. Like, I was so confident I could repel down anything. But in my mind, because it was the highest mountain in the world, like, it just altered my way of thinking and made me second guess myself. And yeah, fear took over. Mm. So... Once you got down there, obviously you repelled, you're still here, you survived, you got down. <laughs> How has your mindset been affected from, and let's just, we can go, unless you want to, if there's any uh, sort of markers between them, from literally zero summits to seven summits. Is there, <laughs> how does your mindset and all the like things that have obviously gone through in that journey, do you notice any difference in your mindset? And talk to us about that. Yeah, so I think going through it all, I've learned to believe in myself and my abilities much more. So I've started doubting myself less and kind of using the mindset, if I can tackle Everest or the seven summits, I can kind of do anything in life. Um, so I've been trying to use that and it's made me so mentally tough mm. because to get through two months being at Everest is a lot to deal with mainly mentally yes it's super physically challenging but it's a lot you get sick and you feel like personally destroyed and so yeah it's been <laughs> so now i'm i'm confident in myself well liz it's been an absolute pleasure today thank you so much for taking the time yeah thanks so much for having me and i'll <laughs> speak to you very soon on the podcast and guys i'll be sharing that on itunes and all the places you listen to podcasts so please do subscribe and uh, I'm excited to really dig into that story more and uh, really flesh this out. But for, in terms of Fearless, this was a, a great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Now we're spit, switching back to some now energy. We're going to my next speaker from Denmark. Um, and we're going to talk about his strategy for working with fear and pre-framing to attack fear. And a, a specific use of checklists is very interesting that I've shared in this in this selection from his interview okay welcome back to another fearless interview and episode and training with me here is Michael Lassen he's originally from Denmark and now based in Cyprus he's a marketing mindset 
transformation nerd of 20 plus years. I can say that because that's what he said on his, on his bio and his information. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. So let's just jump in with the first bit. Fear, what does that mean to you? Do you have like the standard definitions out of a dictionary or what does it mean to you, the whole concept of fear? Well, I'm more interested. I'm more interested in in what to what to do with it, and um, and and in, instead of defining it, uh, you know, I'm in general I'm much more solution orientated than you know diagnostic uh, stuff. Um, that's that's who I am, <laughs> and um, and and that's usually a very good thing. So, um, I, I I think you know we don't have a lot of time, so I I really want to share uh, sort of my big epiphany around fear. Uh, which happened uh, quite a number of years ago. I was uh, I was reading up on, um, on on cancer research, and and there was some uh, research that uh, seemed to point towards that cancer cells could not uh, survive in an environment that had a lot of oxygen. And I thought that was interesting. And then uh, at the time I was working uh, with uh, some things around fear, and I thought, well what if we could set up like a, a, a mental environment where fear could not exist or, or grab a hold? What, what would need to be in there? And, and then two things popped up. Uh, one was uh, that, you know, in, in personal development uh, and success stuff, uh, that, that's, that's all kinds of different things about values, elicitation of values, you know, ranking values uh, and so on and so forth. And, and what I thought about is that, well, if, if we, place the value of growing and learning as the absolute highest value we can have in our life. First of all, I think that's, uh, that, that's pretty much ideal in terms of the most powerful way to rank our values because if we really valued growing and learning at the highest, I've challenged people for I don't know, seven years, I think, uh, to, to come up with an argument why other values would be uh, more productive uh, short-term and long-term. And, and no one has really challenged me. So having that value of growing and learning is the highest. And then the other thing that, that hit me is sort of a, a short model for taking action and pre-framing action, uh, which uh, I, <laughs> I came up with the first time when I was working with some guys who were very insecure about uh, approaching women. So what happened is that, the, that I remember having a coaching session with a guy who had got the assignment from his uh, coach that he was supposed to approach 50 uh, women a day. And, and, and let's just say that he was not empowered by that exercise at the very least. Traumatized. <laughs> more, more likely uh, that, yeah, for sure. And so, so what basically just flew out of my mouth is I said, wait a minute, how about we look at it this way, that uh, before you introduce yourself, you realize that only three positive things can happen. Uh, first thing is that you get your goal, you get your intention, uh, which in this case for him typically would be uh, to get her phone number, etc. Second thing I said that can happen that's really good is that you don't get your outcome, but there's something you can learn from it. And maybe that's even better because uh, maybe that's a, an essential thing to learn in order to get to the longer term goal or vision. So that, that can actually be better in some cases. And then, because uh, this is something I hadn't thought about before, so I, I sort of had this split second of thinking, what am I going to say next? <laughs> because what could then the third thing be? And, and then what I said was that, well, uh, the third cool thing that can happen is you didn't get your goal, your intention. It wasn't anything you could learn from it, but you could use it as practice of keeping your focus where it empowers you the most. So having that sort of pre-frame control in mind that no matter what happens as you take an action, no matter how much fear you have, when you know from the beginning 
that you control that only three things can happen and all three are positive. Uh, combining that with the value of learning and growing, I'm like, how, how can fear exist mm. uh, if you have nailed those two down? And, and so that's, that's been my, my sort of uh, go-to strategy for, for working with fear. Is because it's, it's, and it's been my own experience as well, is that I don't feel limited by fear. Sometimes something pops up and then what I do is that I welcome it and almost, I mean, it's not like I'm popping champagne bottles <laughs> physically, <laughs> but I, I celebrate it because it's, it's potentially important feedback. It, it means that there's something I need to deal with. Uh, typically, it's a sign that there's some uh, underlying beliefs that needs to be updated, uh, optimized uh, in whatever way. So, so it, for me, it's, it's, it's not about uh, feeling the fear and do it anyway and stuff like that. It's no, no, no. We can use it. We can utilize it. We can grow from it and we can take it as, as valuable feedback if it pops up. A very useful thing to have in the back of your mind if you're working with fear is that erasing fear or like setting up this mental environment where it doesn't exist doesn't mean that you have the ability or should go out and do absolute stupid things. <laughs> you still have to take action with wisdom. So it, it's not an excuse for doing stupid shit. Um, or, or like experiments uh, go crazy and, and do all kinds of weird and there's, things. And there's, there's legitimately things that do you want to have a healthy fear of, you know, in terms yeah, of exactly. staying 100%. alive. <laughs> the, you know, there's that classic question, what would you do if you um, knew you couldn't fail? And that, that slight variation of what would you do if you had no fear? So, I mean, I put that question to you and we can uh, discuss this as well. I mean, I know it's something you, you wanted to touch on as well and I, and I wanted to touch on. Yeah, and, and also go, going back to the original question, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Because that, that's an interesting presupposition. It, it presupposes that you can fail. And, and I don't take that as, as gospel uh, necessarily, because I, I think it's much more useful to look at, uh, you know, having learning experiences, uh, having growth experiences instead of failing. Mm. And for example, one of the most interesting things I, I've, I've come across in terms of fear is that one of the things that millionaires have in common much more than anything is that they have gone broke. They've gone bankrupt. And what they all feared before that happened was how the world would react to it. You know, they would feel shame. You know, they know they would be criticized. Um, but they all had that experience. And, and one of the, the, the reasons why they became successful is that they had the experience that, oh, <laughs> it wasn't really that much to fear because, you know, people have forgot about it. And, you know, if you just take a look at the celebrity world, you know, it's, it's incredible what the public has forgotten of stupid shit <laughs> that celebrities have done. And the same thing in the business world, whether it's, you know, entrepreneurs or CEOs, etc. cetera. Um, so it, it's also, the, and then the other thing, um, uh, the other reason why that they have it in common is that they then managed to, to dig out some, uh, some life lessons or business lessons from going broke and then apply that in the new venture that became successful. So I think those two things are very, very important to realize is that typically what we fear is like, if it actually happened, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> it, it's definitely not as bad as, as people think it is. So that's an experience in of itself. But then second of all, this is that you can really learn something from it and maybe you actually need to learn that in order to get to uh, the bigger goals down the line. I had one funny experience. Uh, it was one of the first time I ever had to do a public uh, speaking engagement. And on the way there, it was really, really cold. And, and on the way there, I started to become nervous. And I'm like, this is weird because I, I didn't feel nervous. It didn't make any sense. 
And then I realized that, oh, it's, it's cold, that <laughs> the feeling of being cold was similar to me being nervous. So that, that was kind of an interesting thing to, and, and it, it's, it, it's also something you can uh, play around with is that if you have fear of something is uh, uh, notice how does it feel in, in physically in the body? Where does it start? Where does it move to? Does it spread? Does it stay in one place, etc.? And then forget about it. And, and then uh, think about something that you're excited about. And, and quite often, those two physical um, feelings, you know, how they start, how they move, would be quite similar. But it's because we have them, we, and, and we typically have uh, some type of negative belief that when that gets channeled through, it comes out as, oh, fear. Um, but if there's no um, negative beliefs, then it becomes excitement. So I think that that's also very, very much uh, an interesting aspect of looking at it that way. You raised the fact you mentioned cold and literally the last interview I did, similar sort of thing around the fear and the the feeling scared and worry and stuff. The same thing, but it was triggered by heat, temperature. So obviously Mm. the physiological connection you touched on there is uh, fascinating stuff. So I want to bring it around to your checklist that we talked about before the interview started and yeah, so, so what I did, um, and, and what makes that uh, model work uh, even better that I told about, have, you have the three outcomes whenever you take an action. Um, having a really powerful experience of the second one, uh, so like have, uh, having a, an experience that you have feared, and then you came out on the other side realizing that, oh, this actually turned out for the What better. if I do it with a couple of different areas and, and take those life lessons or business lessons and turn them into a checklist? And then my big epiphany was that when I created it for myself and, and I chose the 10 most important ones, and then I looked back on the mistakes that I had made the last 10 years, and then I realized, fuck, I would not have made a single one of those mistakes had I consulted that checklist uh, and actually integrated that. And I went, oh, <laughs> this is something I need to do more of. I <laughs> love turn this into a thing. Yeah, and I love the simplicity of these sorts of solutions, and I, I love it. So... Could you give us, not necessarily your top three, but if we think of 10 checklist points, maybe a start, middle, and towards the end, some maybe three, two to three of some of the things that make it to your checklist that people, you know, could start to use literally right now and at least run that through their brain and see if it can uh, have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I also want to say that it's very individual because um, part of the reason why it, it's so powerful is that the, the, those checklist points come from your own experience and you've had that emotional transformation. So it really matters because, you know, my checklist, you could potentially read it in a freaking cosmopolitan magazine or men's health or what have you. But, it, yeah, but, but for, for me, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I, you know, so one of them was, was, uh, well, well, was simply speed of implementation, which is something that, uh, that, that I've talked about for years, but going through an experience that was emotionally very painful and then adding that emotion to it that, you know, <laughs> speed of implementation is something I need to, to, to you know, think of, uh, you know, every single day, basically, um, because it's so important uh, for me. That's one thing. Another thing I got from a, a, another negative uh, experience is, is basically leave it all on the field. Is that, and, and that also, uh, having that mindset also means that, that you don't have to fear uh, missing out because if you literally leave it all on the field, well, you, you've done what you could. Um, and that's all there is to it. Awesome. And yeah, and, and if I have to take a third one, it would be, uh, what would be a good one? It, basically to be like an open, 
channel almost, both for giving and receiving. Uh, it, it used to be an issue of mine of, of receiving something. I would be great at just giving, give, 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 give. Uh, but making sure that there's a balance and you're open to letting other people give value back and not just give, give, give. Uh, maybe that's not uh, relevant for you know, everybody, but for me, it, it, it yeah. makes deep, deep sense. No, uh, I like the sound of that one as well. Well, again, we touched on speed of implementation there, which obviously people who are not implementing fast usually fear plays a big role. And we've got an entire podcast interview with Michael, 30 to 40 minutes of his whole story, speed of implementation that you can go and find on the podcast and lead. So we won't go on about that too much here. But I just want to say thank you so much for you know dropping in and, and doing this. And finally today, now we're going back to some female energy, Leanne Ellington. And we're going to be talking about body fears and self-image solutions. Um, so yeah, hope you enjoyed this and uh, give me your feedback. And I will, if there's interest, I think I will put another selection of this together and if you want to go beyond that and all and everything i do around supporting life and mindset and speaking please do reach out and you can either work with me directly or join my arena or my ted accelerator to accelerate your aspirations of talking on the ted stage all right guys have a good one okay guys well welcome back for the next fearless episode and interview and legend that I'm bringing on to talk about a lot of things, but this is Leanne Ellington. She's an author, educator, mad scientist, lover of warm cookies, chocolate chip cookies, I should say. Um, she's the author of The Self-Image Solution. So Leanne, it was a brief intro. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining me. I'm great, and I appreciate you asking me to be here. Happy to be here. No worries. If you think we're diving into stuff, Leanne was on the podcast probably about four years ago. The title for this sort of initially for your post from things was ditch the inner bitch and i think that 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 inner bitch is is someone who's fueled by fear um mm. you know if, if you <laughs> if you've got more love and less fear you're not going to be such a bitch ultimately and that's for all of us uh, anyone can be a bitch so what's one of the scariest or most fearful scenarios you found yourself in by choice you've you know you've identified something that's either a big vision or just something that is scary for you and you've gone at it yeah, you know, the, again, the first thing that came to my mind a few, it was, was what happened a few years ago was um, I, you know, if, if you were to look at a cross section of my life a few years ago, or like si probably six years ago when I was in the fitness studio, fitness industry, um, I was one of those people that I was still like out exercising my food addictions. I was out dieting my poor relationship with food. Um, I hadn't really created this long-term solution. I had just gotten really good at motivation and willpower and discipline and all those things that are, you know, limited supply of. And so I think one of the biggest risks that I took is I was like, what if I just stopped dieting? What if I took, hit the pause button and I went and got right with my head and got right with food and got right with my body? And I didn't know what the outcome would be. I had fears that I was going to go gain, you know, 50 or 60 pounds because I hadn't really solved the problem at that mm. point in time, you know? And so it was a leap of faith, just knowing that my peace of mind and my freedom was that much more important to me. And that was priceless. And that I was pretty much consciously voting on the opposite of it. I was consciously voting on being in, in prison by my own thought process and by my own, you know, kind of habits of thinking. 
So I think that was kind of one of the most courageous things I did in, in that sense for myself is because there was that risk of it going wrong, you know? And then of course, um, when I went into that process too, the next hoop for me to jump through was, you know, I, I'm one of those people that I had a really, you know, successful business by a lot of people's standards. It was, you know, very profitable and I was on TV and all that stuff. But again, at the height of my fitness career, I was exactly who I told you I just was. I had all these like really poor relationship with food, poor relationship with my body. And I was teaching this diet mentality to a lot of women. And so, um, again, like after I started going into this process of healing my, myself of my own, you know, of the diet mentality and the weight loss mentality and this harder, faster, more, you know, do anything to lose weight mentality that I learned. And I was indoctrinated into as a, as a young girl. Um, I decided like who I am and who I've become is so out of alignment with how, with what we're offering at my studio. And yeah, I must've been tough. A lot of conflict. It must've been horrible. There was a lot of conflict. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't even know that that was a thing at the time. Like I didn't know that about this, this falling out of alignment and falling out of love with your business. And so, um, I, I shut it down people are like, what are you going to do next? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. They're like, how are you going to make money? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. But I know there's so much more here for me to teach than what I'm teaching through, you know, do this amount of push-ups and eat this amount of calories. Like there was just so much more. And so, um, yeah, that probably was actually from outside perspective, that was probably the most ballsy thing I ever did was to just <laughs> shut down a very profitable business. Talk to us about the self-image solution and ultimately body fears that people have and like, you know, negative self-image and all the issues around that. And yeah, it was, um, after my surgery, I was contributing to fitness RX magazine and my editor was like, I want to do a before and after like, you know, story on you and a photo shoot on you. And so she came out and she interviewed me and she's like, Hey, send in some pictures of me, of you. Um, and I, I sent her some pictures. She's like, I was just in, this is, I was living in Orlando at the time. She's like, I was just there. She's like, this isn't what you look like. You've lost like another 20, 30 pounds since then. Like send me a picture of you in like a sports bra or a bikini or something like that. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. That will never, ever, 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 ever happen. And she's like, why not? And I'm like, I'm never going to let the world see me in a bikini, you know? And that was my first awareness of like, Whoa, Leanne, like you, you ditched the weight but you never ditch what I call the weight of the weight, which is the shame, the blame, the guilt, the comparisonitis, the perfectionism, you know, also the restriction, the deprivation, the punishment that, you know, persuading yourself to do all the things that you hate. And then the big one for me was waiting for the weight, like waiting for the weight to do all the things that you want to do and be who you want to be and, and say what you really want to say. And so that was when the work began for me really was, again, I'm still like at the height of my fitness career, but these dots started connecting for me. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought like they told me that in the magazines that I was reading growing up, like if I lost all this weight and I looked a certain way, I was going to be happy and feel beautiful and feel free and all this stuff. And it was like the biggest, you know, bottle of lies I was ever sold. And so, you know, fast forward now, it's about, you know, five or six years later. And now I'm talking about this, this idea of the self-image solution. And I distilled it down to five different things. And I realized like really the holes, the gap in my self-image. And when I say self-image, I mean like, what am I seeing and what am I saying to myself and about myself? And is it, is it the one that I want, you know? And so I started just kind of doing this work for myself before I was doing it for, you know, clients again, just like with everything I've ever done, I've always been my own first client first. And so, you know, what I'd say about it now, fast forwarding today is there's five self-image ingredients that I share with my clients that really I can figure out. And it's still true for me, like as what do they say? New level, new devil. So every time you're up leveling, you still like, we're all growing and evolving. And so these ingredients- I like that. <laughs> as you, do, you know, we've got uh, self-endorsement and self-endorsement is, you know, it's not, we are wired to care what other people think about us, you know? Um, but 
what happens is when we leave that validation outside of us, again, we're dependent on other people's opinions of us. So what is practical and what is possible is what if we didn't just, we didn't require it from other people, but we desired it from other people, but we were able to give it to ourselves. Cause again, we're never going to not need it from other people. Right. Um, but what happens when we can actually produce it for ourselves? Um, so we got self-care, we got self-esteem, we said self-worth, we got self-endorsement. And now Welcome I'm putting myself five. on top. Where did that fifth one go? You cannot um, leave his hand. Oh, oh, hello. The <laughs> most important one of all. Hello, self-acceptance. Okay. So self-acceptance is, and there's a couple elements of self-acceptance. Um, the first one is like accepting who you are and where you are and what is right now, because you can't change it. It already happened. Like you are who and where you are right now, but without shame and blame and guilt and comparisonitis and perfectionism and all of those, what I would call your inner bitches, your inner critics. Um, because again, what's the alternative? Like shaming and blaming yourself? You can't change it. It already happened. So accepting who you are and what is right now, but without all the shame, blame, guilt, comparison. But there's another side of it, especially in this whole like body acceptance, self-love world. There's a lot of like, in my opinion, fluff out there that's just like, oh, just love yourself no matter what. Or like, you're beautiful no matter what. Like, just take my word for it. Well, it doesn't work that way. If you've been shaming and blaming yourself your whole life, you don't just magically stop. And so what if, in like, what if you could have both? What if while you go improve yourself, what if while you go, you know, lose the weight, make more money, you know, love yourself more, you just like yourself a little bit more while you go and you work on liking yourself a little bit more, but you, you have both, right? It's not just like an either or mentality, like either I lose the weight and, and make all that money and create all that success or I accept myself. What if it's like accept yourself while you go? and go have those other things because if they matter to you they matter to you what does fear really mean to you and we probably in just different ways and angles kind of covered it throughout the the interview but what is fear to you final fear thoughts is, fear is a natural human response like we have it we have to have it it serves us when, where it comes into play is when it doesn't serve us you know and like who we become in the face of it and so knowing that fear is going to kick in what if we planned on it what if we can count on it then it becomes a conversation of who do we want to become in the face of it and that's the part that we have to choose knowing that the fear isn't going to just stop coming curveballs aren't going to stop coming all the things that scare us or like rock us out of our vortex aren't going to stop coming it's a matter of who we become in the face of it and that's where i feel like the self-image comes into play because we can react to it or we can mindfully respond we can let that fear put us in this like scarcity place or we can lean into faith and gratitude and this knowingness and this self-assuredness that everything's going to be okay we can let the fear dictate who we show up as or we can see the fear for what it is and show up in the face of it in a way that serves us and makes us proud and so again it's like this fork in the road knowing that it's going to be there who do we want to become in the face of it and that's how i see fear but also seeing that it's not this weak thing it's this human experience everybody experiences fear and just knowing that um, and that we don't have to judge it. We don't have to make it bad or wrong or give it meaning that doesn't serve us. We can just let it be what it is, accept it, and choose how we want to show up. Boom. Love it. I will say no more. Thank you so much for your time today, Leanne. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. Please do jump across and grab your copy, ayalpha.com forward slash book. And even though you missed the official launch, if you can hit me up and chuck up a brief review, I can get you over. Email me as well. I can grab, I can send you over 
Claim Your Clarity video series that is getting great response already. Cheers. Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive. The book is out.